This episode is brought to you by Feel Free from BotanicTonics.com. Feel Free is a small two-ounce shot made from kava and other ancient plants, and the feeling that it provides is incredible. It is euphoric. It gives you this sense of focus. It reduces anxiety, and it just puts you in a relaxed state in your body. Think of it as a plant-based magical elixir that can uplift your mood, increase your productivity, and give you the energy to do the things you want to do today. There are so many applications for when you can use Feel Free. A few examples are using Feel Free to get into a flow state before yoga, meditation, or exercise. People are using this as a kind of energy drink to go running for miles at a time. And it's also great for socializing. It just makes it easier to connect to people around you. There isn't this kind of background hum of anxiety anymore. It just really melts away. And that also makes it a great replacement for alcohol. So if you're ready to feel free, go to botanictonics.com and use promo code ZIAN40 for 40% off. Again, that's botanictonics.com, promo code ZIAN40, X-I-A-N 40, at botanictonics.com. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. What makes Sheath different is the pouch on the inside. Now this is a game-changing invention that completely revolutionizes the male undergarment. These are the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn by far. They've got amazing designs and styles, super comfortable fabrics. My favorite is the bamboo and also the V, which is a long leg athletic underwear that doesn't ride up and it supports you where it matters most. So go check out Sheath at sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. Once again, that's sheathunderwear.com, promo code TIMEWHEEL.
All right, we are rolling, and I'm here with Michael Garfield. How's it going today, brother? It's going well, man. I was out last night and the night before on my bike for the first time in a very long time. We got the kid trailer hooked up to the bike, <laughs> nice. you know. So we got it was it, I call it a burly, but it was the, the Schwinn, mm-hmm. and both my kids are now into it. My wife was raised this way, like dragged by her dad on a bike. Yeah. And so she was all about it. And I didn't, exp- I didn't know the joys of this until I became a father myself. And mm-hmm. so the last two days have been a revelation mm-hmm. because I have just been like, actually, you know what I needed all this time? It wasn't therapy. <laughs> it was riding five miles a night with two crazy kids in a little pod <laughs> behind me. And that's just been, I love um, it. It's been awesome. Yeah. That brings to mind, I, I just saw a video, I think yesterday, of this, you know, pro mountain biker. He attached one of those little kid trailers and he's doing jumps and big <laughs> tricks. And it looks like there's a kid inside. You know, there's d- definitely not, but it was like Chucky or whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Gizmo. Totally. I'm, well, awesome, dude. We've known each age. other for quite a while. Um, it's awesome to finally get you on the pod. We've met probably 10 years ago, actually, if I recall correctly. 11 the event, years ago. 11 years. Okay. So that DMT was a remix. That's it. That's it. That's where we met. We stayed in contact for a few years there. Um, then you moved away. So you're doing your thing in Santa Fe. And um, yeah, I wanted to just like share your story because you do so many things. You're a visionary artist. You're a musician. You're a podcaster. You know, I relate to a lot of that. Um, and it's interesting how a lot of these like psychedelic people uh, end up being so multifaceted in the artistic field. Um, you know, not just picking maybe just one medium of our artistic expression, but several. And I just wanted to learn like from the beginning, how did this all happen? Like how old were you when you feel like you started to get some type of understanding of what the spiritual dimension is or spirituality or your first psychedelic experiences. Um, Cause it's a different story for everyone. And I just love to hear how this kind of like spiritual path opened up for you and, and around what age. Those are all different things. Yeah. Um, because the, the spiritual experiences happened long before I was taking psychedelics and my friends were all like, are you sure you're not on drugs? (laughs) Because I remember being in high school at least and having these kind of sleep paralysis Mm -hmm. experiences where I would be lying in bed and I would feel like my body was somehow like infinitely thin and infinitely thick at the same time. And it was like uh, strobing mm. between black and white. And, and I, I was having, it was transcendent and bizarre and cosmic. And I was telling my friends about it and they were like, dude. And then even really before that, you know, I had spiritual experiences on the Natch digging dinosaurs in Wyoming mm. because you go out into the badlands of uh, Como Bluff, 
which is where I worked with Robert Bacher from 1993 to 2004. Mm -hmm. And one week of summer, I was up there on his team with the, the Wyoming Dinosaur Society. And most years, it was my mother taking me. One year, my dad took me, and that was hell of a year that was uh that was 98 Mm -hmm. i think that was the year that they had a hundred year storm hit the nail quarry which was the quarry where they were working on a uh a giant mudslide had buried a nest of allosauruses Mm, uh and and the bones were all jumbled up and it had like you know, as they decomposed, they'd off-gassed and everything was, you know, it was like a, a deep, deep pile of mm-hmm. just chaotic uh, dinosaur bone matter of animals of all different ages and sizes and species. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. And they'd been working that quarry for decades. And uh, I was there as uh, a preteen and a, and a teenager and had finally started, uh, I like, I, I got my, fr- when I started to drive, mm-hmm. my, my first car was a, a forest green Jeep Cherokee country. <laughs> and I got that car into the field in Wyoming as soon as possible. Like I mm-hmm. was driving on these, these, uh, pathless paths, mm-hmm. these, insane cattle roads uh, uh, that go through rivers. And I actually, uh, I got my car stuck in a Mm. creek. Mm. Uh, I flooded my engine and uh, Bob Bacher had to go into town and get a winch and winch me out. Uh, I mean, it was like, it was, it was a dream come true. It was so beautiful, and and like while <laughs> Jurassic Park like, shit, yeah, and like while I am, uh, so like those experiences, like the experiences of being on the hillside at Nail Quarry during a hundred year storm, where it's like hailing and lightning is hitting the ground a hundred feet from you, and my dad is there, and my role model since the age of three, because I'd known I met Bob when I was three. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the Museum of the Desert in Palm Springs. And so... He just felt like your spiritual uncle or something? Well, he I mean, he was kind of like, well, I mean, my dad worked a lot. And I don't know, like it, Bob consulted on the book and the film, Jurassic Park. Oh, and wow. and so he was like... Got it. This, that makes and sense. then my dad worked at Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. And I saw the... I saw the world premiere of Jurassic Park. Ah, uh, it's all clicking now. In uh, on June eighth of nineteen ninety three. So it's like there was this weird braid of stuff going on, and I grew up. Yeah, I was absolutely destined to be a paleontologist. This is no question. Like I was. So I was, was your dad into it because of the cinema, or because he actually was a fossil, you know, seeker. My dad was a travel industry professional for 43 mm-hmm. years. His mm-hmm. career was 
Well, how does it tie into World the Air Jurassic Park thing, you know? Well, I mean, TWA, my parents met working at airlines in Kansas City. Okay. And uh, then he went to work for, uh, they're not calling it Royal Viking Cruise Lines anymore. It's just Viking Cruise mm-hmm. Lines. Uh, I guess they're <clears throat> trying to play it down. Vikings are too brutish. I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think it's it's more like, you know, cruises themselves have kind of come up against the thing due to global warming because it takes a gallon of gas to move a cruise ship six inches. Damn. So, yeah, it's it's a different I world. I thought they were still it, doing coal and shit. I mean, I want solar-powered cruise ships. Well, why not? It's a great like, idea. I mean, but what do I know? The uh, so So, TWA... You know, my my bookshelves as a kid were filled with scale models of uh, passenger jets. Mm. You know, because mm-hmm. these were the things that my dad was bringing home from the office. Cool. And then he went to work for Universal Studios. I was born in L.A., but they opened the park in Florida in 1989, and my dad helped them open the park in '89. Oh, like kind of as an administrative person. Yeah, I mean, he was the uh, the I think the senior VP of their marketing, sales and marketing. Oh, cool. So okay. I mean, he was like the guy on TV being like, "Universal right. Studios is going to be great." Dang, you know, and uh, they it was great. It was amazing. Yeah, I've been. It's it's incredible. I haven't been in a very long time. I'll say the know, same. It's probably been a decade or more, but you know, my mom took me there and really? I went to Disney World and all that good stuff at a point oh, when man. I was like it's, 10 or 12. I so, loved it. It's funny because like I know that when my kids come up, they're like the numbers call is gonna get called, right? Mm-hmm. And at some point, I'm going to go back to an amusement park. I haven't been to an amusement park in over 20 years. Wow. You know. Microdose like, next time you go. <laughs> but it's in there. It's baked in, right? So, totally. Uh, but I was there. I was there for the... I was, I, I was on a hard hat tour when they were building the Jurassic Park ride at Universal Studios Hollywood. Yeah. I like, went I on it. I never rode the ride. I never oh, did. I never. The I never T-Rex did the, scared the shit out of me, man. I never did the dip through the thing <laughs> and all that, but I did actually. But I walked it, mm-hmm. you know, while they were putting it together. Uh, so, cool. so, yeah, and I mean, so spiritual experiences. I mean, these are these are spiritual experiences because sure. because these were as you're, you're a kid, mm-hmm. you know, and when you're a kid and you're in love with dinosaurs and you know, the magic of being able to, you know, experience design, I guess is what it's called immersive entertainment. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's, that's the soil in which I grew. Yeah. And it's not, it's not, all roses but it was fascinating you know i i I intend to write this book about all of this stuff and and one of the the key scenes that i want to talk about 
in that book that I, I started writing is the scene in the Back to the Future ride at Universal Studios where the, this absolutely atrocious, horribly inaccurate Tyrannosaurus Rex, enormous, like, just ridiculous fake dinosaur T-Rex mm-hmm. eats the car. You're in the car. <laughs> and so it's like the whole thing is like you are being devoured by the dinosaur. Right. And, you know, I remember, you know, to, to connect that to psychedelics, I remember Daniel Pinchbeck in Boulder in 2007 mm-hmm. talking about his book, 2012. And he said that he was struggling with that thing about in Christianity, like, you know, the the lion eats the man, you know? No, and I, I think I'm unfamiliar. Oh, it's just it's, it's that the, the, the religious transcendence is about losing your head, you know? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, you know, a DMT trip is about allowing somebody to pluck you like fruit from the tree of time. And then you, you know, you're like, Oh, what a lovely ego. Right. Delicious. (laughs) Bye bye. (laughs) Well, Okay. So you're having these couple of, you know, kind of mystical states, just like realizing, wow, I'm really in love with this almost, you know, dinosaurs almost feel paranormal. Of course, they're supernatural. I mean, very natural. I mean, it is pure evolution, right? But they have this magic to them. Um, They feel mystical. They feel like, you know, mystical beings and mythical beings and um yeah i i had a big experience uh loving dinosaurs as well as a kid of course i saw jurassic park loved it got all the toys i needed the raptors i needed the t-rex i got the t-rex where i actually it could swallow people and then you would like dig them out of their little stomach you know yep exactly um and also i went to this my mom took me to this overnight stay at a dinosaur museum for it was like a lock-in and it was awesome man i was probably like eight years old went with a couple friends you know like we never get to stay up all night because we had a bedtime but this night we're staying up all night and i'm surrounded by dinosaur bones you know and i don't know if they were the real ones or if they're a replica but it's a bunch of dinosaurs you know and i've slept right next to some dinosaur bones and you know they have a little it was a amazing museum i don't i wish i knew what it was called i think it was near atlanta georgia um and you could you know kind of mock dig up bones you know they'd come back and cover it back up and then you you know someone else would get a turn and we did a whole thing there was a planetarium too where we would look up into the sky and we could see what they were saying it was what took the dinosaurs out that armageddon type shit um (laughs) you know and (laughs) It was a good experience, you know, so I definitely relate to that fascination with dinosaurs. I, I haven't really 
stayed with it. You know, of course, it's still there. And if there's a new dinosaur movie, I'm going to see it. But it, it didn't become like such a cornerstone um, as much as like yoga has for me. Like once I started learning about yoga from like 18 to where I'm at now, which is 32, it's been really like those uh, holding that level of fascination and interest is like studying yoga and all the forms of yoga. Yogasaurus. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but for yourself, getting back to how did the spiritual path open, you know, when we look at, okay, you had a couple of these like on the Natch mystical experiences. What led you to your first handful of psychedelic experiences? How did those go? What chemicals were they with? And, and that's ha ha ha. So, the first psychedelic experience I had, honestly, was probably, there was a girl in my freshman year of college, I, w- I would hang out at Hashinger Hall at Lawrence, Kansas, and... This trim, blonde, spicy chica was like (laughs) tying her shoes. And I was like, where are you going? She's like, oh, I'm going dancing. I was like, let's go. And it turned out that dancing going dancing meant going to a rave in Kansas city. And that meant, uh, going with her friend who was a singer in a gay bar. Uh, and so he, he knew how to like through the, through the gay bar, I guess, how to score (laughs) some MDMA. Wow, your first trip was with MDMA. And then and then uh yeah, that was a wild ride, but I'm sure. Later that year uh there was the frisbee full of mm-hmm. the dust, like mushroom dust mm-hmm. in my friend's dorm room. Mm-hmm. That was passed around and they were watching Waking Life. Like I kind of crashed that party, actually. <laughs> I, I you know, song. like they had plans to take mushrooms and watch Waking Life. And I just mm-hmm. kind of happened to be there and I hadn't, you know, I hadn't like paid in, mm-hmm. but I was like, so there was like, <laughs> and I was like, okay, interesting. Uh, but that was a, kind of a an exponential curve for a minute there because then, you know, my, that fall of my second year of college, um, like over that, over the, the, the spring of my freshman year and the, the fall of my sophomore year, I was like, I'm going to push this and see how far I can go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with each trip duplicated 
the amount. Mm-hmm. And with mind mushrooms, you, is it yeah. with mushrooms? Okay. Yeah, mind you, mind you, I. I have not tripped. I actually haven't tripped in a long time. I I, I can't even remember. Mm-hmm. Good Lord. It's unfortunate how long it's been. But at, at any rate, the, the, the hilarious backstory that we can now look at mm-hmm. is that in, in 2002, I was like, yeah, a, a gram and a half. Cool. Let's let's ha- let's eat a whole eighth of mushrooms. Cool, mm-hmm. and then let's go camping with our friends and and they're going to eat an eighth, and I'm going to eat seven grams. Mm-hmm. And that night was a real punctuation mark in my life for the fact that I blew through all of the noise and the color into a place of pristine, perfect calm. Mm. I was a still, clear pool. Mm-hmm. And all of my friends were wigging out. <laughs> All of my friends were like, <laughs> and, and so I had to babysit everybody who was on half as much as I was. Right. And that was a formative experience. And I've talked about that with Shanta Stevens, mm-hmm. who shout out Shanta. Yeah. You, you know, I'm, I'm working with and Mitch Schultz on, uh, and all of those guys, uh, it unify, um, Love me. I, I brought that up with Shanta once, but yeah, is it was a real important moment for me because I realized that I had I had Brian Brown Walker's translation of the Dead Ishing. Oh, lovely! And I was reading it, and I turned to my buddy, and I said check this out. Look at this. This is, this is, it makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you're reading right now. <laughs> like those words are doing backflips, right. you know, like, yep. it's just like, forget it. No, get that out of my face. I can't, I can't even handle right. it. And I, I, I think that was the night that I realized that I was fluent in guitar. Mm. Like that I I was competent. Mm. I was able to improvise as a guitarist. So you had a guitar at the camping trip? Yeah. And and I was able to just like in in a way that I had never been able to before. And I had I had been blocked. Uh, it was a G minor. Mm, that's a hardened scale too. And yeah, and it was just like, and then also one of my friends had a really, really bad trip. And mm-hmm. she thought that the people camping at the site next to us were all vampires. <laughs> and it was like, so, you know, it was just like, that was a really, 
that was a really important one because I think that was September 30th, 2002. Wow. So when you were talking about that serene still state, um, you know, one word for that might be samadhi. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. So you That's... had had, you know, a unitive experience, uh, a highly advanced spiritual state that people meditate in the cave for for years, you know, um, and you're just getting in at the camping trip and just you're in my last... out with the default mode network. Mm. Yeah. Just in my last podcast, Martin said uh, that sometimes it's easier to go all the way with psychedelics than halfway because then it's almost like what your friends was doing where he was like, he wasn't quite there, but he wasn't sober either. And he's just kind of in this weird middle state where, you know, it's a little more confusing. Um, and you had crossed all the way into the threshold. And that is where you reach a level of comfort and understanding. And it's super appropriate that you have the Tao Te Ching. Um, I didn't have the Tao Te Ching during my couple of first experiences, but when I found it, I was like, that is what happens on psychedelics is you see the Tao, you see the isness, and it'll, it made perfect sense. And the Tao Ching is one of my favorite texts of all time. Um, my whole name comes from Tao, uh, the, the Taoist tradition, Zian, um, which are the Taoist immortals, um, you know, people who have understood that our soul um, is immortal and continues on after this life. So that's, I mean, it more or less means immortal. So mad immortal, mad Zian. But anyway, super awesome. Um, right on. You had quite a big experience. How old were you? 17 or how old were you there? Oh, let's see. 2002, I would have been 18, 19. Wow. Wait, 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 wait. yeah, wait, hold on. <clears throat> 84. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, January okay. 84. You so, do math. what happens after that? Did you stay... Because for me, when I had my big first experience, for weeks after, I was still glowing. I was still in that state almost. I you will know, say even there, was, the there was one been... kind of tragic consequence of this, which was a little weird. Yeah, what happened? I, I mean, it's not tragic. It's just like um, cautionary is that I realized that I could drink. Like, I'm not a drinker. I am not a drinker. I, mm-hmm. I do love tequila, mezcal, mm-hmm. and a good scotch. You know, I mean, I, mean I, I can I can appreciate liquor, but like, I'm not. I don't seek it out. Mm-hmm. And yet, when I was on the you know the bow wave of these you know surfing the the residuals of these high dose trips i found that i was able to like drink everyone else under the table mm-hmm. like i just it's just like it, it wasn't even it wasn't affecting 
Mm-hmm. Me, the way yeah. that it, it, it I, I don't know, it's strange. I know. I, well, you were so highly sober through those heightened states of consciousness that it took a lot more to even bring you below baseline and yet drunk, right? I think that may be kind of it, actually, yes. That, but, I mean, that's not... This is not advice, folks. And this is a weird part, too, is that psychedelics make you more sober. You know, like, when you do cross into the threshold, yet, you know, there is... there. It's not all of them, and it's not every trip, but that essentially, like specifically LSD to me, in like a one to two hit quantity, it just seems to make me like ultra sober. Like I'm just even more present in my body, even more present in my perception, even more more present in my awareness of sounds and colors, and it's just like I'm not messed up. I'm just more clear. You know what I mean? So it's like you turn that sober dial up from three to five to eight and so on. It's interesting, you know, certainly at a point, these more like visionary experiences start happening and you could consider that the intoxication, if you want to look at it that way. But uh, yeah, it's interesting though, how counterintuitively microdoses and even going up to moderate doses of psychedelics tend to just increase your soberness. (laughs) I would say that's true for a, a great many people. I, I I don't think it's true for everyone. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, totally. Yeah, it depends on them too. Because sometimes mushrooms are I could just take half a gram and it is very whoa wobbly and weird. But then you take LSD one and a half hits and that seems like it'd be way more. But it doesn't do that. That's just it just affects me a different way, a little more of just a focused way. I'll tell you. A couple times that I took mushrooms and it did nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, there were, I mean, you talk about contrast the story I told you a moment ago with the story of me eating an eighth of mushrooms with my friends and it never going off. Mm-hmm. And then eating another eighth and it never going off. And I'm on, I'm on seven grams of mushrooms and I'm, I'm normal. Mm-hmm. And some, I think that, you know, that I haven't heard a lot of reporting about that, but I, I'm, I know I'm not alone because my, my friends that I was with also experienced that. And that happened again with a different group of friends. Mm-hmm at some other point. Uh, and so it's, mm, I, you know, I, I think it's sometimes the doors are just closed. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's like, no, mm-hmm. no, not today. Totally. I agree. Well, I almost wonder if you opened up some higher circuits uh, in these bigger experiences um, nadis or, you know, just see in circuits in your brain, you know, we can look at it that way. Um, psychic circuits are what the nadis are, you know, like the, you know, the Alex Gray type light flowing through, you know, like maybe when you had those couple of big experiences, they just had stayed open and stayed unlocked. And that's why you could take more 
than other people and not be as affected and, you know, take five grams and be more or less coherent. You know what I mean? Because it's just like you're already tapped up there through those some of those initial states. What, what do you think about that? I don't know. I mean, that's that's flattering. But I think if I took five grams today, I would probably knock me on my ass. Well, maybe because this, <laughs> the circuits have a little bit closed. And it's the same thing with with me as well. Is It's like I, I used to take more and more and now I don't need it. So why? Why take more? I take half a gram now and it'll affect me how three grams used to. Because I'm doing yoga. I'm doing breath work. I'm dieting. I'm doing a sauna beforehand. These type of things, you know, just really potentiates the medicine. Um so that's interesting. But okay, so you had a couple of these experiences, very powerful experiences. You learned you could play guitar well. Where does like the painting come into this all? I grew up with a pen in my hand. Mm-hmm. And that was actually the, you know, if I, if I, go back to that formative moment of meeting Robert Bacher at the Museum of the Desert in Palm Springs in 1987. It was me hanging out with him while my mother stood in line, God bless her, while a, a huge line of children all wanted him to draw them dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. And he had a big pad of butcher paper, pens, and he was just, What's your favorite dinosaur? And and I was like, I'm not going to stand in line. I'm going to stand at the head of the line and talk to this guy the whole time, mm-hmm. watch him do his thing, because the man was and is, I haven't spoken to him in almost 20 years, uh, but he is... An enormous inspiration, I think, to me becoming a live painter mm-hmm. because he would give all of his talks with that sheet of paper and with pens and would diagram dinosaur anatomy and, you know, uh, Mesozoic stratigraphy, you know, showing how, you know, mm-hmm. oh, here's the Lakota formation and here's the, you know, here's the Morrison formation. Yeah. And, he was an unparalleled orator. Mm-hmm. And so in modeling his abilities as a, as a communicator and as someone who could just whip up something on the fly, like on stage in front of people, mm-hmm. I think all of that sank really deep into me. And uh, I spent... My grade school, middle school, high school, college years doodling in mm-hmm. class, relentlessly drawing dinosaurs and H.R. Giger's alien. Nice. And that was like every day through school all the time. And mm-hmm. then, you know, but it, it never occurred to me to paint. Uh, I mean, I, 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 you know, I did a little, I dabbled. But then I saw Chris Davidson painting for Sound Tribe Sector 9 at Red Rocks in 2007, right after I moved to Boulder. Nice. And I moved to Boulder because of Bob, 
largely because like he, when we fell out uh his his dig team fell apart and uh i was as right as i was getting out of college and i didn't know what to do with myself uh, and i had found Ken Wilber and complex systems science. And I was asking huge questions that nobody could answer. And nobody wanted to take me on as a grad student to ask the kind of questions I wanted to ask. So I gave up after a while. I was just like, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to move to Boulder and figure it out. Mm -hmm. And that was... 2007, and within like a, two weeks of living in, in Boulder, one of my, my old buddies from college came up from Kansas for the Sand Tribe show and bought me a ticket and was mm. like, you're coming with me. And Chris Davidson was on stage with them painting, and, and uh, I took acid at that show, and I just watched him work on this painting all mm -hmm. night and it blew my mind. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that is amazing. Mm -hmm. I had never seen that before. And then I watched someone else do it at a small concert in Boulder. And I thought it looked like total dog eggs. And I was like, you know what? I could do this. And I hate to say this, but like, Mm -hmm. it's uh, you know a considerable amount of what i have accomplished in my life has i mean like basically my life i think rolls between the boundaries of i could do that mm -hmm. you know like oh that person's doing it i could do that and yeah. also uh the other thing which is my decision not to become a career paleontologist was well there's a thousand people standing in line behind me for this gig mm -hmm. you know what what can i do that other people can't do mm -hmm. so those are like the bumpers right right of me being like i am sure i could excel at this thing mm -hmm. or also you know this is this bar is a little too crowded, sure. You know, and and so at any rate, the that uh, the fall of two thousand seven was when I started painting it. Shows uh, Josh Pollock and David Sheldon <laughs> uh, were uh, they they throw like a you know Josh Gem and Jam and the the bicycle day parties in San Francisco. Oh, right. yeah. yeah, but they started throwing after parties for Sand Tribe Sector Nine in Boulder. Okay. And uh, I was painting at their shows at the Trilogy Wine Bar, mm -hmm. you know, back when like Pretty Lights was was, you know, playing for like two hundred people. Oh wow! And uh, nice. it was cool. It was cool. That is. And would you I, say that you were yeah. visionary painting from the beginning? I mean, I went with paint markers because that's how I knew I could move into that space with the least effort. 
you know, I, I, I knew that I was, I was like, I had worked for four years at the, the University of Kansas Natural History Museum as a scientific illustrator. Uh, and I was, I was good to go as far as pens are concerned. Mm-hmm. And so that was a fairly effortless transition. And, and mm-hmm. when I did, because I was using pens, the like people were coming up to me and they're like, have you taken ayahuasca? <laughs> or like, is this, is this like Aboriginal Australian artwork? You know, like there was this, there was something about because you're using you're doing dots, you're like lots of uh, lines yeah. and dots. Oh, I remember, yeah. And yeah, the you know it's it's a it's a style that is you know maybe has more in common with like street art than it does with you know Vienna school mish technique style painting. Mm. Although I did pick up a lot of that along the way because I started you know, painting at shows with Amanda Sage and blah, blah, blah. Totally. But like, that was, yeah, like I, you know, at first there were no pens that even offered the ability to create transparencies and glazing. Mm. And so, I think people saw the stuff and, it reminded them of their tryptamine encounters mm-hmm. immediately. And they were like, so have you blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, I never had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hadn't, uh, I mean, my first DMT trip was in August of 2008 and I didn't take ayahuasca until 2000, March of 2011. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, that's a whole story. Cause so I you was, had some mushroom yeah. experiences, but nothing trip. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess that's a tryptamine a little it bit. It is. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but not the same thing, you know. Well, I mean, I, I didn't take I I, you know, I didn't take LSD until after I had graduated college. I, I I took LSD the week I graduated college, which was the week that the Revenge of the Sith came out. Nice. I love that when I was growing and up. And I be, I was like, boy, what timing because LSD felt to me like it actuated me mm-hmm. in a way that I had superpowers like that, that I could see things I could understand things that gave me an edge mm-hmm. and that I needed to be careful because I'm a hot knife mm-hmm. and I don't want to harm people. Mm-hmm. And I like I had several experiences back in the day in my early LSD experiences of being able to like read a person mm-hmm. and say something that would like cut them to their core. And it was something that they needed to hear, but it didn't feel good mm-hmm. to say it. And it was a very, I was, you know, it's funny because I like, at the time, I was in high school when they had the open auditions for Anakin Skywalker. And mm. there was a minute there in high school where I was like, dare I? <laughs> dare I? 
where I was really, really like, I'm going to go for it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't because I was worried that it was going to screw up dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was going to screw up the dinosaur science. I was like, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to audition for this because what if I get it? Like, oh no, like I'll be the dog that caught the ambulance. You know, <laughs> I don't want that celebrity. Uh, but at the same time, I was like, oh, Natalie Portman, you know? Right. But yeah, uh, high school, right? But like, so at any rate, I I was very, I was on a kind of a Darth Vader trip from mm-hmm. day one with Acid. Mm-hmm. And just keenly aware of the responsibility of using these, these, uh, you know, you, you talk about opening the nadis. Mm-hmm. It's like there's a reason why in Buddhism you've got wisdom and compassion. You've got totally. the bodhisattva and the karmapa, mm-hmm. right? Like you need the check, you need the bodhicitta, yeah. You need that extra. You need the community to hold, a con, you know, the transformation so that, like, when your face melts, it pours into a cup, and then somebody can drink it, right? Like, it's not like you you don't you don't uh, just like melt it all over a campfire like a, a candle or like light like lighter fuel, you know? You just mm-hmm. no, like because I've seen. I mean, I don't. Did you watch Wild Wild Country? Oh, I love country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Osho Netflix film. documentary on Osho. Yeah, uh, yeah, I love like, it. Osho. Okay, Osho's MK Ultra. Great <laughs> example of a person who, like, when awakening is not held mm-hmm. in a, the correct container, mm-hmm. and the magnetism and the vortical dynamics around that kind of thing start swirling and horrible things transpire. And I've seen it time and time again. You know, I was so glad when Brian Pace and Nishay Devino, who I, Nishay, I met around the same time I met you. I met her at the manifestation celebration, which was, you know, thrown by, God rest his soul. Jason Hahn of the Nadis Warriors. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, RIP. 2011 and 12, those shows up at the Dallas Museum of Nature and Science. I mm. met Nache there. And anyway, Brian and, and Nache wrote this piece on right-wing psychedelia and how psychedelics are non-specific amplifiers. You know, and so like that's a key piece of this whole thing, right? Which is that like, luckily, uh, I I'm kind of an asshole, but I'm not a total asshole. (laughs) Psychedelics and spiritual practice have made me more of what I am, Mm -hmm. and they're going to make you or anyone else more of what they are, Mm -hmm. and so watch out. You know, you're like, you better get your your house in order, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's a good uh, lesson. And I would say I went through a similar set of learnings as well. 
I only recently discovered human design. Have you, are you familiar with human design? Do you know, do you know what you are? I'm a manifester. Oh, nice. Okay. I almost started to think that you were uh, my type, which is a projector. Um, and projectors need to be invited to share their wisdom. Um, they, they do have a lot of it to offer, but they tend to have a problem offering it when it's not really being asked for and it's not really welcome. They're not really ready to hear it. <laughs> um, so we have to learn to kind of hold that back a little, bite our tongue a little bit until the knowledge or the wisdom or whatever we have to share is literally being asked for. Then you can say exactly what you feel, 110%, and it should be welcome at that point, you know? And if not, then, you know, communication will continue and you'll figure it out. But um, I was not knowing that because I only just recently discovered human design, uh, maybe past three, four months, um, and would have that kind of keen sense of, being able to intuit what's going on with someone and maybe where it lies deep within them. And I can definitely see the problem, man. And I can tell you what it is and this is the problem, but it's like, they're not ready for that. They don't really need to be psychoanalyzed right now. They didn't ask for that, you know, like, so I I definitely feel you, you know? Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) So yeah, that's, uh, that's that. And, you know, I, you know, one time in particular, my friend's 21st birthday party, and I really, I, I, I realized that I, my, the one friend that showed up late to the party and wasn't tripping, mm-hmm. and she was kind of tone deaf and like off the wave, and annoying all the other trippers, and I said something to her that just like, sliced her down like hey mm-hmm. and it's what the room needed mm-hmm. but i didn't want to be the the vehicle sure i didn't want to be the flute playing that song you know right and and it's just i think it's really important to i mean honestly like at the same time I, I worked for a while as the managing editor for a website mm-hmm. that uh, you can find on the web archive, globalish.com. It's it's defunct now. Oh, that's but, right. But globalish. That's another one of our connecting points. Globalish, man, was uh, a site run by Michael Richardson Bourne, who is someone I met through the Ken Wilber community and is a, is a good friend of mine for many, many years. Uh-huh. And he hooked up with Alan Shelton, who had worked with Ramesh, uh, Ram, uh, Ramesh Balsakar, who, who was a, a, a student of Nisargadatta Maharaj. Oh, wow. Okay. And... So there was like a direct sort of lineage into this weird, like non-duality pop culture mashup website that I was writing for. Yeah. And they were funding the site through cre- like uh, what, what they called st- uh, chief story officers. They were, they were creating 
and, and installing people inside companies mm-hmm. that could help people become construct aware mm-hmm. and thereby realign their relationships inside the business, not just between people, but between people and themselves and the story of why they were working in the organization. Mm-hmm. And so they, and they were demonstrating that it was profitable basically to wake up in business sure. because if you wake up and you realize you're in the wrong business, then it's like, you're like sand that got like ground out of the engine or whatever, you know, like you're, you're not in it anymore and the, everything runs more smoothly. But if you wake up and you stay there, then you're going to perform that much more effectively. And in fact, at, at the same time, I was I was befriending Richard Doyle at Penn State University, the author of one of my favorite books on psychedelics, Darwin's Pharmacy, Sex, Plants, and the Evolution of the Noosphere. Nice, I haven't and, heard of that one. Oh, God, read it now. Mm. And Richard Doyle uh, was studying under Gary Weber, who had done yoga and meditation for 35 years, before he became totally lucid and had a permanent, you know, uh, dysregulation, I guess, of his default mode network. And well, that almost sounds like what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And also lucid is the better word than sober. When I was talking about LSD in that one to two, the lucidity is what goes up. You know, what right? I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so Gary Weber, absolutely the most lucid person I've ever. I had a, a Skype call with him once upon a time, and like, mm-hmm. this guy was an emeritus, uh, like business professor or something at, at at Penn State. He has a blog you can find online called happinessbeyondthought.blogspot.com, where he talks about the neurophysiological correlations between aging, psychedelic use, and meditation. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he talks about you know, the ways in which they are similar and the ways in which they diverge. It's, it's extremely fascinating. Amazing. Uh, but, but yeah, like if it were not for Rich and, and Gary, I would have I completely crumbled because uh, you know, my experience with globalish was that people get militant mm. about slaying the ego if it's not held in the correct cultural envelope mm-hmm. and then you become you know like working with that becomes mm-hmm. impossible you mean on a team with them Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because that, like, at, at at some point, the he, this guy, had known and loved and cherished as a brother for nine years, mm-hmm. overnight, like, like not overnight, but like over the course of the year that we were working together, became more and more uh, monomaniacal. Mm-hmm. about non-separation sure. to the point that at, at some point over the summer of 2015, he stripped attribution from all of the articles, which was not just me. It was me and a bunch of other contributors that mm. had not signed any kind of 
contractual paperwork saying that their bylines could be removed. Sure. And he said, oh, you know, it's just, I've decided that this is the brand yeah. is the guru. I feel like, like I'm recalling this happening. I was, I the, was, yeah, I was in the periphery while all this was happening. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, that's the play that we're going to make, you know, like you're, you know, Michael Jordan's name is on the back of the Jersey. And I'm like, yeah, but it's on the Jersey. Put it at the bottom of the article instead of the top, you know, whatever, fine. But nobody's going to listen to a guru. That's just a logo, Mm -hmm. right? Like you need a, like the, the whole point of transmission is eye contact. It's personhood. It's, Mm -hmm. it's like, even if there's, even if there's quote unquote, no one home, you know, even if it's the universe just flowing through a human form, right? There, it's still a human form. It's like it's not. It's not. You know, right? And then uh, we we did not see eye to eye about that. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to throw stones, but it also you said earlier about how the Buddhist path you need both. You need the bodhicitta, that yeah. compassion, the you know where you can sacrifice your own gain for the awakening of others. That's maybe what was missing in that circumstance where maybe for these writers, he could have been a little more compassionate, you know, that, you know, well, I got, I got 10 years ago, but it is eight years ago. (laughs) I got fired on vacation, driving across country by email by Michael within five days of him telling me that he would never do that. Yeah. And it's like, you can be in a non-dual state and totally know what that means and totally know that we're all the same consciousness uh, permeating from the same source, just in all these different iterations and manifestations. But if you don't have that heart center active, um, yeah, something's missing in that equation, you know? And I don't know what he's up to these days because he... Abs- he like completely detonated our friendship mm. uh, after that. Like, I, you know, after we severed the professional relationship, like I tried to preserve the friendship and he was just not interested. And I was like, all right. Um, but then after it wasn't long after that, that he, he blew up his own brand. But the, you know, the funny story about that was that I was the, the, so gallows humor in that situation is that I remember posting on Facebook that summer that basically my job was to be the Buddha <laughs> was to like write about stuff as if I were the Buddha sure. and that if you see the Buddha in the street, you kill him. And then, mm-hmm. if, you know, and then within a week I'd lost my job. Sure. <laughs> I was like, Oh, perfect. Like that's, that's I want to talk about that real quick. Cause that's I, what hear, I, needed. I, that's funny. I, I hear that saying, and I don't always fully understand if you see Buddha in the street, kill him. What, is, what does that mean? Well, it's the same as sort of like, you know, nothing sacred, everything permitted. You know, okay. it's just that we, you know, we live in a, 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 a universe of infinite possibility and, and evolution is the playing out of entropic processes running down a, dif- you know, a dissipative gradient, mm. uh, you know, an energy gradient. And so like the river runs every way down the mountain mm. and, 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 you know, you 
you know, people will attach to everything. Like, you know, Ken Wilber talked about how... So it's about uh, non-attachment. Yeah, it's about non-attachment. It's about, it's about how after, you know, years and years of meditation, you know, like a witnessing meditation, mm-hmm. you identify not as your body, not as your thoughts, not as yourself, but as the featureless awareness Mm -hmm. that's observing all of this stuff, but that's still a thing. That's still something. And it's like, okay, so the real moment comes when you let go of that, Mm -hmm. when you're not even the awareness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, complete non-dual, five-meo type thing. Well, you are the awareness, but you're not you're not looking at your body. Your body is not of any concern. It's like you become the observer of all of time, space, and matter um, in the five amio experience. Have you had that experience? I've dabbled. Yeah, same. I, I haven't. I just said this to Martin on my last podcast. I haven't uh, done a full release dose. But I still reach that place, you know. It's just I haven't had the white out experience, which is what they call the full release dose, where you just go emerge into the light of God. Yeah, I haven't I mean, had that one yet. But I definitely left my body and was like floating around and seeing oh, yeah. that I'm just one dude. And there's so much. There's all. There's all this. There's there's so this infinite consciousness, infinite perspective, infinite awareness, and. Yeah, it's just like uh, it flips the observer. So the observer is usually in your head. And we think that there's almost no observer in the air, but it just, it goes, it inverts it and whoop. So now the air, this empty space becomes the observer. And you know what I mean? It's like the an inversion. That's happens. interesting. You know, that's that's not entirely dissimilar to... A beautiful LSD trip I had in 2010 in -hmm. New Mexico. It was like the first time I'd actually traveled down to Albuquerque from Boulder to play a show out in Desert Friends Mm -hmm. Ranch and got this pristine acid that I remember looking, sitting on a bluff, looking out over like, you know, 50 miles of desert. And realizing that space is not empty, space is full, and it's full of mind. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so the void, the that's void it. is actually fullness. Yeah. You know, that's that's that right. You know, that's that thing. That's right? the big confusion about when people say nothing or no thing. They think that's a void. They think a black void, a black hole. They think bad. Like, who would want that? But it's actually seeing it all as one thing and that's why it's no one thing it's no thing because it's all it (laughs) somehow (laughs) totally so yeah these non-dual states can definitely be reached with other psychedelics um it's not like 5-MeO is the only thing that can get you there. I think LSD can get you there specifically LSD in combination with cannabis um it does that for sure. Uh, at least for me, it did. Um, you know, mushrooms, you can touch into that. Um, 
even DMT, you know, if you kind of get lucky and it's weird. Like so many people get entities on DMT. I've gotten very few entities. I do see shapes, uh, dimensions. Um, hi, it's like hyperspace. I feel, I feel hyperspace. Maybe I'm not taking enough to get to the entities. Um, I feel the presence of entities. And one time I actually did see the bottom of an entity. So I have, <laughs> I have a Shiva statue, but I'll just use this Hanuman right here as an example. But it was like his head was in the clouds. He was so big. I could only see like half of him. You know, like he was, ah. it was, it was such an immense being. I could only see his legs. And the legs were crossed like a yogi, so I thought it was Shiva. Um, but I couldn't really tell who or what it was. And, and that was one of my entity encounters. But That's a fascinating piece of this, because the second DMT trip that I had, I've definitely had entities galore. Um, <laughs> I, I talked about this a lot on Stuart Davis's Aliens and Artists podcast. Stuart's oh, yeah. another. I've heard a couple of those are good. Yeah, Stuart's another uh, member of the Ken Wilbur sort of diaspora. Uh, fantastic songwriter, amazing comedian, great you know, voice. Another one of these people that's like, you know, I see him as kind of an older brother along the path. Like, you know, he's just hyper creative in every medium that he can touch. Yeah. And then he. Uh, Yeah, so anyway, this this unrelated to Stu in on the on the superficial layer at any rate. I had my first two DMT trips uh in the fall the summer and in, in, in fall of two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. And they were both very laden with entities. Mm. It was it was one of those like immediately you know oh there are aliens. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, there are aliens. Okay. Yep. Solved. Like that's that's non negotiable. Yeah. I mean, I had had a series of encounters that that, that I was talking about on Stu's show with mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I had seen cr- like craft, but the craft that were alive, hmm. and wait, craft? What do you mean? Cr- like aerial, oh, aer- oh, aerial okay. objects that UFO. were like deep sea bioluminescent, translucent creatures Damn. in the sky, swimming through the sky, mm. communicating with me telepathically in two thousand six and seven. Hundred percent. Okay, I got a question about that real quick. Oh, uh, hold on, hold on. Be- okay. Before you your question, I want to I want to just make the point that uh, to your point about head in the clouds, the second DMT trip I took was one where like the first one was super serendipitous. It just it kind of fell into place. Like mm-hmm. I had been, I had been waiting, you know, people, cause you, like you had mentioned earlier, like 
people had been talking about my artwork for a long time. You know, oh yeah, you're so did you do it? I'm gonna no, no. <laughs> and then and then and then it just fell in my lap one day at a festival in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And it I was like it was a road cut like into the into the forest and I was like sat in this beautiful like little spot of disturbed land mm-hmm. and stared up into space and had beings doing the you know the psychic surgery that stuff yeah, yeah, but yeah. then the second one uh I went back to Kansas City and I was in my friend's basement on his bed like crashing out in like a real rough part of town where people were like, you know, getting shot. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do it here indoors. And, you know, I, I felt like my, my skeleton and the frame, the metal metal frame of the bed had like, f- you know, like one f- fused one thing, yeah, and that trip was the polar opposite. Like I had heaven and hell. Mm. My first two DMT trips were heaven and hell. Yeah, and it was so clear to me after that second experience <laughs> that you don't come back again until we tell you to yeah because there's a thresher right you know there's the 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 gaping maw of like you don't enter this place with your head mm-hmm. like you know like your head goes yeah like if you want to be here you have to leave yourself behind and i had in that in that particular experience i i was approaching it like a scientist i was like hmm. the first time i was like i'll just see what happens right but the second time i was like all right well now i want to i want to go in there and like ask a question yeah and boy was that the wrong move mm-hmm. that was the wrong move because the intent was like a a mosquito mm-hmm. you know it's like it just yeah well they're so powerful they say no you ask a question when we tell you to ask it you don't come in here thinking you're going to tell us anything you know what i mean they're powerful um that space is powerful and it was making me wonder, and as well, I, I do recall one time I was going to mention, um, so when you get into that hyperspace, um, maybe no one's home, the IP address, you know, was null, and, you know, you land in hyperspace, but, you know, there's no entities, no one's there, it's, you're, they don't really know you're there yet. But the longer you stay, and the more kind of like, shit you're fucking with up there like the guards become alerted 
and now they're going to come check you out and maybe even put a little bit of a scare into you. Um, and I remember this one time I was having such a great DMT trip, beautiful for the first 15 minutes or so. And then I'm like, let's go back. I take another hit and same story as you, where it was like, no, you shouldn't have did that. Um, right then a weird malevolent looking green portal opened up in my room off into the corner <laughs> and it was like a wormhole was like, and it was like, what's about to come through there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I just had to go into prayer and I just prayed for five minutes. Like, I'm sorry. Like, let me out. You know, I'm good. I'm good. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to fuck with it, you know? <laughs> and I, you know, nothing happened. They let me go, but it was like, Cosmic you know, probation. Yeah, man. Like they get an alert and they're like, we're going to come swoop down and see what's going on now. Um, I didn't see the entity cause I went into prayer, but I'm, I'm pretty sure something came through that portal and was about to fuck me up. <laughs> Dodge the bullet. Totally. Well, um, then, you know, it's full of those though. Yeah. Right? But, like, but I did have another question before yeah, we leave the topic, yeah. which was you had a UFO experience you saw that craft. Um, I wonder why is it that when we're on psychedelics, they reveal themselves. I don't think we're just imagining it. I think they can almost, again, with their radar, psychic radar, they get a blip. Oh, someone's in the space. Let's go check it out. And then we see them in the sky or whatever it might be. What, what does all this bring up for you? I mean, that is self-evident. Mm -hmm. That was that was the contour and the nature of those experiences, for sure. That it was like, oh, here are some flowers. Let's go smell them. Mm -hmm. So the aliens, to you, though. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that they were like, oh, hey, look. Those light, you know, it's like uh, working with one of those, like, uh, like you know, plug it, plugging lights in. Mm -hmm. Just oh, here, there, poof. Right. It, but they can also be present in the physical dimension. I don't know if you caught the new UFO video with the pilot, where this like very chrome perfectly alien looking thing comes flying right by them and you get a really good picture of it. So they can be in the 3d too. Do you believe that? I, at this point, okay. So an X factor in all of this is my graduate advisor. Uh, I did in fact do one year of graduate study under Sean Espion Hargens at John F. Kennedy University, uh, remotely in California. Sean studied under Ken Wilber. And then at some point, Sean came out as a quote-unquote contactee. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I, I see 
all of this as being like on a on the same manifold mm-hmm. you know that it's just we actually let, let me put it in these terms mm-hmm. uh, two years ago I was part of a program I love called the the, the the Diverse Intelligences Summer Institute. Okay. Uh, DC is happening this year again. I, I wish I could go. I, I can't go. Uh, it's in Scotland. I was able to go because it was like COVID and it was happening remotely. Yeah. So I was doing video. Uh, Jacob Foster and Erica Cartmill uh, social scientists from UCLA host this thing. They're exploring intelligence in all of its forms. And I was there with a bunch of people who uh, were interested in the question of like alien mm-hmm. intelligence, you know, like the the epistemic question of like you know how do you how do you even recognize something that is foreign to you yeah and i I mean it really is that and it's the case that you know working at the santa fe institute as i did for four and a half years that intelligence exists in all kinds of stuff. Uh, it exists in, you know, blockchains. Mm. You know, or is it like a life form? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it exists in national constitutions. You know, this is yep. like information that's like propagating. Yeah, through that reminds time. me of how they also call like a company an entity. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. There's no question that corporations are uh, effectively egregores that we are dancing under the feet of these dinosaurs in <laughs> our mm-hmm. modern world. And so, and now, like, this is what all of this paleontology prepared me for. I don't know if I answered your question. Okay. So circling back to aliens being... Okay, so this actually came up. Um, You've seen Interstellar, I'm sure. Uh Uh-huh. So on some Interstellar level time travel shit, could these aliens just be us evolved coming back? You know what I mean? Like it's it we we were the initial beings that went out there, got so highly advanced, figured out how to traverse space time, and now we're coming back to look at ourselves and we're seeing these little Easter eggs, these little glimpses of what what the fuck was that? Like what? You know, it's it's just like a movie. Those who wish to follow this rabbit hole deeper, listen to Future Fossils episodes one seventeen. And 171. 
mm. with Eric Wargo. Okay. You should talk to Eric Wargo if Let's you can. Go. Because Eric Wargo, mm-hmm. who is a Zen meditator and I think fairly buttoned up kind of guy, mm-hmm. science writer for the NSF. He has a and he's an anthropology degree. But he wrote a book called Time Loops mm-hmm. in which he makes the case from both the voluminous testimony of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people mm-hmm. who have had precognitive dreams mm, I've had that. as well as from the physics of Minkowski, you know, Einstein, Minkowski, glass block space time mm. that the future already exists yeah. and that we are simply uh, moving through this mm. thing that I believe like, it. It's not, you know, it's, it's not like, Oh, here we are. And, and dude, the, I've got know, that ha- firsthand experience. Like maybe I do need to talk to these guys. Cause it's like, for me, it's ineffable. I'm, I'm literally like questioning it, it, it. Did it even happen? But I've seen in my psychedelic states that the future has been written and it exists and what's weird, though, is it's malleable because we still have free will, I believe. Um, and we can kind of alter those timelines. Um, but we have a highest, best timeline. And, you know, we can get a little off the track, but more or less think of it as a vinyl record. The vinyl <laughs> is the, all of time. We're in the groove here and we're going, we're going to, we're going to go, woo, 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 you know, and then that's also spiral dynamics that, the way that a record works is it goes circular in that kind of spiral kind of way. Um, I think time has, it, it's, it's a, it's a fully complete thing and we're just in a like, yeah, the groove over here right now. That's something I keep coming to as well. Cause I've seen the future quote unquote, you know, through the precognitive dreams it's never prophecy level. It's never something like even that impactful, but it's like, it certainly happened. Why does that keep happening? I have seen, I had both of my children appear to me mm. be- years before their birth See? during psychedelic experiences. I knew I was going right. to have these kids. Right. I knew them. Yeah. And it was, baffling because you know my my wife and i had a very rocky relationship because i was traveling all the time and you know all over the place and i hated long distance and it was a mess but there's no question in my mind like mm-hmm. i i have had Courtesy of mushrooms, ayahuasca, and ketamine, mm-hmm. and DMT, mm-hmm. I have had verifiable precognition. Yeah, 
that, you know, I have seen things that have later transpired in ex- precisely the way that I saw them unfold mm-hmm. under the influence. And 100%. so, you know, hey, there's there's one piece missing mm-hmm. uh, from, like, there's one, I've, I've had one vision that has yet to unfold. And, uh, but it's gonna. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's how I feel about this. It's and here's like, the interesting thing, too, is sometimes that thing is going to unfold, but we can stagnate and, and push it into the future about how soon it's going to unfold. It's, it's so weird because I've certainly been in times where things were just not manifesting. And then there are times where things are manifesting at very high speed. And it's all about where I'm at and how maybe simply put healthy I am, how sharp, how in my practice, how in my diet, how in my sleep am I, the better that goes, the more manifestation occurs and things like these precognitive things. And yeah, that's all super interesting, man. Um, I know we're getting close on time, but yeah, what were you going to say? I was going to say that it is also the case that Eric Wargo notes in his book, Time Loops, that precogs are often like drunks, drunks or addicts because there's something about the free energy minimization. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's an inference, a- active inference in the brain. And like his, his physical rationalization for what's going on here is that biology has figured out how to recruit quantum phenomena Mm. into uh, its own like propagations. Like like John Joe McFadden's book, uh, Quantum Evolution makes a similar kind of case that Mm. the, baffling improbability that life occurred on this planet as it did is due to life happening in a quantum supercomputer where you know the the all of the prebiotic molecules in that soup are in are, are, are in a, a quantum superposition that by interacting with the environment outside of it self through the act of reproduction mm-hmm. instantiates itself mm. so it's like the 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 reason that we're here is because that was the one thing that led to the like the crease in the paper okay right you know uh, yeah and and so there is a 
a tautological component to this. And, and that it just is what it is. And, and that I'm, as it stands, the, the fossil record life goes back all the way before sedimentary rocks. Yeah. You know, you, you, you don't have, you have chemical traces of, uh, you know, the, uh, carbon 14 mm-hmm. in metamorphic rock predating the earliest bacterial fossils. So, I mean, it's like basically this stuff just happens, Yeah, you know, and it, and it happens. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't, I want to just say like in closing mm-hmm. here that, and, and this is a big piece of actually what was just dis, dis, <laughs> dumped on me by uh, the UFOs, quote unquote, at Clinton Lake in 2006. Mm-hmm. But that's not. It's not just the future. It's not just us in the future. We're, we're talking about aliens. Mm-hmm. It's like life happens all the like everywhere it possibly can, all the time, constantly. Yeah. Right. It's been happening. You know, if you look at Avi Loeb, Avi Loeb had a a, a great insight several years ago that the conditions for life in the early universe. If you adhere to Big Bang cosmology, the early universe was a warm, wet place that mm. was actually wow. Like it would have been like uh, the universe now is actually kind of hostile to life mm. compared to what it was. Yeah, and so actually, like maybe all of these creatures that we are encountering in these psychedelic states are the highly evolved forms of things that mm-hmm. got there first, that were like billions of years ago. Right. Billions and billions that. of years before. Have you ever looked into Vedic cosmology? Oh yeah. There are some really interesting things, landscapes, beings floating on the back of a turtle, you know, worlds that are coming out of someone's belly button, all kind of cool stuff, man. Yeah. Um, and on that, we do have a hard stop at 1045. So. Dude, this has been amazing. We definitely have to do another because I felt like there's a lot I was still have. We got like ask. half of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So thank you so much, Michael, for being here, brother. Absolutely. Um, where can people contact you and follow you and all that good stuff? I mean, future fossils, I migrated to Substack. So, michaelgarfield.substack.com is where I want you to sign up for my mailings. Mm -hmm. But I'm on every social media platform except TikTok. So, you're not a TikToker. I just, 
We got to get you dancing in some sheath underwear. Yeah, just too old for this shit. <laughs> I guess. So it's at Michael Garfield? Yeah, at Michael Garfield all over the place. You'll, I'm it. easy to find. And I hope you do find me. And I hope that we talk if you're yeah. listening to this and you're inspired and I'd love to meet you. Yeah, well, definitely go listen Thanks, to man. those episodes. Yeah, that you said 117 and 118 or? 171. 171 and yeah. it was just that one, one? 117 and 171. 117 and 171. Okay, I got to check those out. Cause yeah, Future Fossils. I'll send perfect. it to you. All right. Thanks, brother. Well, thank, uh, thank you guys for listening today, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you, Matt.